0: You're listening to Season 3 of the Basics of Life Conversations with Rob Silvano.
1: And I'm sitting there, and there's probably about 800 people there that night. And I knew that God was speaking to me through this guy. He was just, I mean, I've never had this happen before, but I, uh, or since but I got a warm sensation that came over my body.
0: Welcome to the Basics of Life Conversations. My name is Tyler Baquette and I have the privilege of producing Pastor Rob Salvato's podcasts and radio shows. Today we are beginning season three of the Basics of Life Conversations and I have the privilege of interviewing Pastor Rob. Our focus in this season of conversations is going to be on God stories. It is so encouraging to hear the stories of God working in a person's life, to bring them out of the bondage of sin or out of a heavy trial, or seeing how God calls someone into an aspect of ministry and uses them beyond their wildest expectations. So here in season three, Pastor Rob has some amazing interviews lined up with some incredible stories of how God's love and grace and faithfulness has been poured out in people's lives. We believe that these are stories that are going to encourage you and inspire you and stories that you will want to share with your friends. So here we are kicking off season three. We're going to be interviewing Pastor Rob today, hearing his God story of what God has done in his life and how God has used them. So Rob... Welcome to your own show and uh, congratulations on season three of the Basics of Life Conversations. Uh, We're really excited to hear your story and a bit how God has met you and used you today. I'm so excited about this season because I love hearing people's
1: God stories. I mean, it's so inspiring. And like you said, we have some great stories that are lined up that I think are really going to encourage people from a spectrum of topics and and life, you know, experiences and and stories. And so I'm really looking forward to this story. Well, we are too.
0: We are too. And we want to start off with talking about your God story. And so let's start with this. When did you first think that God might be calling you to be a pastor?
1: You know, Tyler, it's really interesting because being a pastor was the farthest thing from my mind for God's will for my life. Um, And it really wasn't that I didn't think that being a pastor was a noble profession. I greatly admired my pastors. I looked up to my pastors. I grew up at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. I was saved when I was 11 years old. And I had some great youth pastors there that I just loved, guys that I really learned from. But in the summer of my junior year of high school, the Lord brought a man named Richard Semino into my life. And he was my high school pastor for my senior year of high school. And Richard was just an amazing Bible teacher and really, really wise. And he challenged me in some ways that um, to this day have impacted my life in such an incredible way. And then of course there was Pastor Chuck Smith who was the pastor there. And Chuck was such a brilliant guy and so charismatic. I mean, he had that just big smile and just you know was larger than life. And I remember admiring these two men and thinking I'm nothing like them. You know, I'm not like these guys. And so I was, I just thought God could never use me Mm. in that way. So, you know, being a pastor just wasn't even on my mind. It just, I thought, you know, that's what a pastor looks like. And that is not me. And then on top of that, I'm more of an introvert by nature. And so, you know, the idea of talking in front of people was something that I never ever wanted to do. I never was drawn to. You know, I was never the kind of guy who was the life of the party. I was always the guy that, you know, would be at the party over in the corner talking to one person <laughs> all night long. You know, that was kind of me. And so again, you know, the the thought of getting up in front of in front of a bunch of people and talking just you know, was not on my radar. And then on top of all of that, it seems like every pastor that I knew really struggled financially. And that was something that I just wasn't interested in. You know, I wanted my life to be a little bit more comfortable in that way. And so because of all those things, I never ever really thought Mm. that that would be something that God had for me. It just wasn't, you know, on my mind. I knew people that, thought that way. I think I'm going to be a pastor.
0: <laughs> I never thought that way yeah. at all, you know? So when was it, what was that kind of turning point or what was it that you were thinking and planning on doing for your life? What was your passion before pastoral ministry came in the picture?
1: So for a good 14 years of my life, um, my passion was baseball. I played all sports, but baseball was the one that um, I seemed to be the best at, and I was a pretty good player, and I had a dream that I wanted to be a professional baseball player, and in my senior year of high high school, everything looked like it was coming together. During the first half of our season. I was the third leading hitter in all of Orange County, which, you know, there's hundreds of schools and thousands of players. And every single week, my name would be right there in the newspaper. At number three, I was, you know, batting average that was in the 500s for the first half of the, the season. And I was getting all the attention that I was hoping for. And I was like, okay, this is everything that I've been working for. This is, you know, I, what I'm I'm just... That this is great. You know, I'm on this trajectory. I'm on this path. And, you know, was hoping that things were going to, you know, be heading in that direction. I was picked preseason to be one of the top pitchers um, in our league. And we had a very competitive league. It was one of the stronger leagues in Orange County, uh, California. And then on top of that, I was playing during my senior year on a scouting team for the New York Mets. And what that meant was it was a team that consisted of like the top 40 um, high school players from all of Orange County area. Even some players came down from San Diego. And every single weekend, we would play against like the Angel Farm Club, the Dodger Farm Club, um, schools like USC, UCLA, some of the different JCs. And there were tons of scouts at these games. So that was my passion. I thought, okay, I've arrived. I'm here on this level, I'm on this platform with all of these great players. But it was really interesting, during that um, season, a guy by the name of Lenny Dykstra, who went to Garden Grove High, he was a year ahead of me in school, and he got signed by the Mets right out of high school. So he was in his rookie ball season. And Lenny came and played a, a, a weekend with us. And, you know, so there's like probably 60 guys on both teams, you know, combined here on the field. And we're all doing our pregame warm ups and all this kind of stuff. And, and then we play this doubleheader. And Lenny was head and shoulders. He was only about five foot six, he was a little dude, but he was head and shoulders above everybody on both teams. I mean, he was by far the most talented, gifted athlete on the field. And I remember watching him and thinking, I'm not good enough. Mm. And in that moment, I had like this epiphany, like, okay, he's really, really good. He's better than everybody here. And, you know, he's probably going to make it. He did, you know, went to the World Series, uh, did incredible. Um, And I was thinking like, I'm not that good. Mm. And it was a it was a point in my life where all of a sudden my plan changed. And at that point, I thought, you know, if I could get a baseball scholarship somewhere, have a decent college career, and then from that get a job as a high school coach or even better, a college coach, coaching at a D1 level, that became my new goal my mm. senior year. Of high school. And so I ended up having a, a decent season. Um, it was interesting. I didn't get the offers I was hoping that I was going to get, but I did get an offer from a school that is now known as Vanguard University there in Costa Mesa. And I see this was all a part of God's plan because it kept me at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And I was serving there in the high school ministry. This is all during my freshman year of of baseball there at the college. And again, I was thinking, okay, this is God's plan. But one day, one of the guys at my school asked me um, if he could go to church with me. It was a Wednesday. And um, he said, hey, is there anything going on at your church tonight? I'd like to come with you. And I said, well, you know, it's Wednesday night, and on Wednesday night, Back in those days, the midweek service was on Thursday night. And so the youth groups met on Wednesday night and they also had this meeting that they called the believers meeting. And the believers meeting was kind of like a large afterglow, you know, type of a thing. And to be honest with you, I had never gone to this meeting. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the reasons was my parents would go and they would come home with these stories because it was a meeting where it was an afterglow, it was time of waiting on the Lord, the gifts of the Holy Spirit were being exercised. And some of the things that they shared with me kind of scared (laughs) me, you know, and I thought, I don't don't think I want to go to that. So this friend of mine says, you know, is there anything going on at your church? And I said, well, I usually go to the high school ministry because I'm, you know, helping out. I'm like a counselor. I'm like an adult leader at that. And he goes, I don't want to go to a high school group. What else is there? And I said, well, there's this thing called the Believers Meeting. He goes, let's go to that. That sounds interesting. So me and my friend, We go. And we're there at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. We're sitting in the back on the left-hand side in the middle of the sanctuary. And about midway through the service, this guy by the name of Chuck Mateer, he was one of the assistant pastors there. Now, at that time, Calvary, Costa Mesa had an attendance, a weekly attendance of about 18,000 people, okay? So, you know, this guy doesn't know me from Adam, Mm. you know? Plus, the lights are all down and this type of thing. But midway through the service, he gets up and he says this. There's a young man here tonight sitting in the back on the left-hand side who's really involved in athletics. And when he said that, I, I'm like, you know, kind of looking around, like, <laughs> you know, for guys that look like they were jocks, and because that was the section I was sitting in. And then he says, he plays baseball or softball, something like that. And then all of a sudden he says, I want you to stand up. And I'm sitting there, and there's probably about 800 people there that wow. night. And I knew that God was speaking to me through this wow. guy. He was just, I mean, I, I've never had this happen before but i uh, or since, but I got a warm sensation that came mm-hmm. over my body. And so he says, I want you to stand up. And he waited, like he's like waiting, you know, like, come on, you know, I know mm-hmm. God wants to do something here. So I, I stood up very gradually and I'm thinking like, what in the world is this guy going to say? You know, I'm thinking like he's going to tell everybody I'm in sin or something, you know, and he ends up saying that um, God wants you to consider giving up playing ball and start getting into the word more because he's calling you into the ministry. Wow. And I was blown Mm -hmm. away. Now what's really interesting about that is on that very day, it was a rare Wednesday afternoon where we did not have baseball practice. Mm -hmm. And so I actually went down to the beach that day because our campus was right by the beach and I was sitting on the beach and I was reading my Bible And I remember saying this to the Lord, Lord, I wish I had more time to do this. Mm -hmm. Because we were busy. You know, we had morning workout, you know, in the weight room and then school all day and then afternoon, you know, practice. And then I had a part-time job on top of all of that. And I was involved in church several nights a week. So my life was busy. But that time to just sit and just really take in from the Lord, you know, I was sitting there thinking, You know, I I wish I could, you know, I wish I had more time to do this. And so he says that this night, and I'm like, I'm just I'm just floored. I sit down and this lady right behind me taps me on the shoulder and goes, Can I talk to you after this? And I'm thinking, like, okay, yeah, sure. (laughs) You know, what are you gonna say? So afterwards, she tells me, she says, Hey, I just want you to know that when the pastor said there was a young man here involved in athletics, God told me it was you and told me what he was going to say before he said it. And I'm like looking at her, shaking her hand, nodding and going like, okay, in my mind, I'm thinking this woman's a fruitcake, <laughs> you know, who's just looking for attention, you know, kind of a thing. Like, sure, God told you that, you know, big man of faith I was. Well, I end up finding out later that this woman happened to be one of my best friends. It was his mother's best friend. Mm. And his mom told me, look, she is not a nutcase, And if God, if she says God told her that, God told her that. So God was using that to confirm to me that um, that's what he was doing in my life. Another thing that was really interesting about that night is I had several friends who were there. And they were, you know, again, 800 people in the room, all spread out. And... Um, this was, you know, my freshman year of college. So I had just, you know, the previous June had graduated. This was somewhere in the probably October time frame, graduated high school. And a lot of my friends that had been in the youth group quit going to the youth group. And this is what they started going to. Mm. So they were going to this, had no idea I was there. But when the pastor gave that word, probably about five of them told me afterwards, when he said that, you popped into my mind. Wow. And then when you stood up, I was like, wow, you know, so that was God's way. And, and I think I, I often say this. I think part of the reason why God's calling upon my life in that way was a bit dramatic was because I was pretty stubborn. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, God wanted to do something. Yeah. <laughs> and like I said, it was so not on my radar and just not something that I had had at all thought about and i really hadn't grasped the concept then that god wasn't looking so much for ability but availability because mm. i just looked at it and thought i don't have the ability yeah. you know so why would god use me in that type of way and so i think god did that mm. um you know in dramatic type way to get my attention but what was really interesting was now i had a decision to make because i i was on a baseball scholarship yeah. to the school so I'm thinking like, okay, God's calling me. He did this dramatic thing. So what do I do? Do I play out the year and then give up my scholarship and start pursuing this ministry thing? Or, you know, do I just quit? And, and I went and talked to my dad. And my dad was always one of my biggest supporters, you know, one of my biggest. I mean, my dad just coached me and, you know, trained me and, you know, but he was also like my best friend. Mm-hmm. And I went to my dad and I said, man, this happened and I don't know what to do. You know, should I play out the season? And my dad just said something that was so insightful and and so, um, you know, wise as he said this, he says, you know, if God's calling you to do something, you're not going to be happy until you're doing it. Wow. And it was in that moment that I was just like, Okay. I've got to just quit. I went to my coach. I went to the AD. Um, It was really funny, too, because our AD, it was a Christian school, and so he was um, saying, hey, we're getting ready to start a fellowship of Christian athletes, and you can Mm. be the chaplain, you know, just stay on the team, you know, kind of a thing. But I knew God was Mm. saying um, this is what, you know, he was calling me to do. And what's really interesting about what my dad told me is it wasn't until just last year right before my dad passed away, he was in the hospital and he and I were just alone together and had just a special moment, you know, as he was in the hospital, you know, battling some serious illness. And he said to me, he says, you know, when I told you that, he said, that's the last thing I wanted to say to you because I really thought you could have went pro (laughs) and I wanted you to go pro, but, but it was like, and, and the fact that it was, you know, like Almost 40 years later that he told me that, you know, almost on his deathbed. um, But at the same time, he was like, but I'm so happy. He said Mm -hmm. that you chose to follow God's call, you know, on your life and and that sort of thing. So,
0: yeah. Wow, that is so sweet. How, How and when then did you sense the Lord calling you specifically to pastoral ministry?
1: Yeah, that's a great question because you know, it was a sense of, you know, he's calling you to the ministry. That's mm-hmm. what the guy said. So I thought, okay, what does that mean? Am I going to be a missionary? Yeah. Um, you know, what, is, what does that mean? And so um, it was about three weeks after that night that um, Brian Broderson, who at that time was the junior high pastor at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, and he was teaching a Bible study, a lunchtime Bible study at University High School in Irvine. And he heard about you know this thing that had happened to me mm. this calling and and so he came up to me one day and said hey i'm teaching this bible study at university high school at lunchtime and i really can't do it anymore um you know i think you should do it mm. and i looked at him i said i've never taught a bible study in my life i don't even know what to do And he's like nah just just go do it it'll be great you know and so i took that as like okay i guess i should go do this and so i go down to this school And um, I'd never taught a Bible study. I didn't know how to do a Bible study. And I basically went and just shared my devotions with these students. And they ended up liking it, and they asked me to come back. And so the next week I came back, and the week after that I came back. And then they told their friends at Woodbridge High School, and they called me and said, can you come to our school too? And so now I'm going to this other school, and again, all I'm doing is I'm sharing my devotions. I'm sure some of it was heresy, (laughs) but uh, I'm just sharing, you know, the things that God's showing me. And it was crazy because I did this all year, both of these schools, and it ends up coming to the end of the year and they're like we don't we want to keep meeting and they decided to combine both school groups mm. and so i end up i'm doing this home bible study at this house in irvine with the, all these students and there were about 70 students every week coming wow. to this thing that i'm doing where i'm really all I'm doing is like sharing my devotions, you know, with them, what God's just, you know, teaching me in the word. But it was then that God started to just, you know, I think lay on my heart that this was perhaps the way that he was, you know, uh, leading in my life. And, That is when I began to realize, okay, God's not really looking for availability or ability, but He's looking for availability. And I started to think maybe He can, you know, use me. And then from there, I just started serving. I mentioned I was already involved in high school ministry, and so I was just helping out. Um, You know, one of the things we had a pretty large high school ministry at that time, it was well over you know, almost 200 kids, and and every Wednesday we would meet, and one of these rooms at Costa Mesa, and all the chairs needed to be set up, and, and, um, you know, our pastor was doing it all by himself, going and setting up all the chairs, and so one day the Lord just impressed upon my heart, go set up the chairs for Richard. And so after school, I went and I went to the room and I, and I set up all the chairs. And later that afternoon, he went to go to set them up and found that they were all set up and he was all blown away. And I remember him sharing with all of us who were counselors, like, I don't know who set up the chairs, but it was great because I got to go home. I had dinner. I spent a little bit of time with my wife, you know, before coming. And And, and it was, again, God was just like, showing, just be faithful, you know, mm-hmm. just be faithful in the, the little things. And, and I found that, that that's really what the Bible says that God's looking for is for a steward is that he would just be faithful. And yeah. if you're faithful in the little things, you'll be exalted with, you know, much. And, but even at that point, I wasn't thinking anything. I had no thoughts of grandeur, you mm-hmm. know, I wasn't thinking like, you know, oh you know, maybe I could take Richard's job one day or something. I was just thinking like, God, I just want, you to use me. And even just the simple thing of setting up chairs to bless my pastor and provide a space was something that I just found to be God honoring, mm-hmm. you know? And um and then I just got more involved in you know, high school ministry there. I started discipling young men. And then about a year into that, I was asked to lead. A home group. We had these high school home groups all over the, the, the county. And um, I was leading one and then I was leading two. And and then um, Pastor Richard wanted to start this Sunday night uh, group. And he asked me and one of the other guys, hey, I want you guys to lead this. And, and so it just started, you know, from there. And then it got to the point where when Richard was gone on vacation or he was going on a mission trip that he'd asked me to teach, you know, in his place. And so God was slowly just showing me, this is what I've called you to. And, and, um, and he began to develop, you know, that, that teaching gift in me. And, um, so I served there at Calvary Costa Mesa with Richard for about three years. And then I was asked to come on staff at Calvary Vista, which at that time was a real small church of about 200 people here in Vista, and they asked me to come and be the youth pastor, and I served here as a youth pastor for almost seven years, and then in 1991, God called me and my family to leave here, go a thousand miles north up into Oregon um, to plant a church, and that's when I became a um,
0: lead pastor. Wow. What a story so far. I love this. (laughs) Um, how, what was it like when you first started teaching? Did teaching come naturally to you? I mean, I've been listening to your teaching well before even came to Calvary Vista. You're known as a good Bible teacher. I produce your show, (laughs) the basics of life. What was that like in the developing stages? You're young, you're a leader leading a home group and then more teaching responsibilities. What was that like? Yeah. So the answer did, Bible
1: teaching come natural to me? And the answer is no, not at all. Um, I have friends that it comes natural to, and I envy them, and sometimes I don't like them <laughs> <laughs> because of how, how naturally and, and somewhat easy. Um, I have always had to work at it. And to, and to be honest with you, I'm actually um, – I've never been a real good even communicator Um And my kids will, they just, they tease me all the time because I can be in the midst of a conversation and completely lose my train of thought. Wow. I would never know. I'm serious. And and I just would like sit there and just all of a sudden I get this blank and my kids just start laughing and it's like, you know, they, they totally make fun of me because it happens, um, you know, quite often it's kind of a running joke in our family, which is one of the reasons why I always use notes Mm. when I teach, even though they're not like word for word or anything like that, but they least keep, they, they at least keep me on track. Yeah. Because in natural conversation, I have the tendency to go on tangents. I have the tendency to go <laughs> on rabbit trails and somehow circle around. And so, no, teaching the Bible is something that I've had to really, really, you know, work at. And it's interesting because people will tell me, they they think, you know, God, you're a gifted Bible teacher. People will tell me that. but But I think, you know, that it's... It's a gift. I do think Mm. it's a gift. Yeah. But I think it's a gift that's like a muscle Mm. that has to be developed, you know. And God placed it there, but it was going to have to be developed through a lot of work and through a lot of practice. And um, so, you know, it's one of those things that I feel like I'm continually seeking to grow in. Um, to develop that muscle, you know, to find better ways, you know, to to communicate. And, um, you know, I've been doing it now for 35 years. And when I first started, I spent on average of about, you know, 20 to sometimes 25 hours a week and putting mm. together a Sunday morning, you know, message. And now I've got that down to about maybe 15 to 18. Um, but it still is... It's a lot of work, you know, it's a lot of work and, um, but I really enjoy it, you know, Mm -hmm. but I've had to learn to grow and kind of develop, you know, learn what my style is. And, um, I had somebody once give me a whole box of tapes of a a pastor and he said, listen to this and try to teach this way. And I tried and I'm like, I'm nothing like (laughs) this person, you know? So I think that's one of the things is, is, you know, we have to Mm -hmm. learn, you know, Um, who has God made us Mm -hmm. and how does our, our brain work? And sometimes I wish
0: my brain worked different than it does, (laughs) but, uh, so, so 35 years later, and now you've literally had the opportunity to serve the Lord and teach the Bible all over the world. Has that been surprising to you? That has been so surprising (laughs) (laughs) because you're talking about a guy
1: who grew up in a blue collar family. I had never been out of the country my whole life except for one short trip to Mexico when I was a kid. In fact, growing up, the only place that we ever traveled to outside of California was to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, because that's where my dad was from. And so I probably have been to Pittsburgh four or five times, um, you know, growing up. But that was the extent of even, you know, visiting the United States. And it's crazy to think about that. to date the Lord has given me the privilege to minister in 22 different countries wow. around the world. And that absolutely blows my mind because it's not, I mean, it's something I never ever would have dreamed of. And every time I'm getting on a plane to go somewhere and go speak at a conference or, you know, something like that, I just think, God, I I can't believe that you're taking this guy who didn't like to get in front of people who, you know, could never, ever imagine him doing this. And he's saying, you know, you are available Mm -hmm. and I'm going to use you, you know? And so, yeah, it's been, it's been incredible. And how did that all start? Well, that's interesting because about five years into the ministry here at Calvary Vista when I was a youth pastor, um, I was asked to go on my very first overseas missions trip to what was then called Yugoslavia. Now it's Croatia and, and uh, Serbia, but then it was one country, Yugoslavia, and it was right after the fall of communism there mm-hmm. in Eastern Europe. Yeah. So we were taking a trip. Of, uh, there was eight of us, and we were going to Yugoslavia and going to Hungary, and we we go to this place in in, um, in Yugoslavia, and it's funny. The first couple of places that I had an opportunity like to teach were these super old, you know, churches. And uh, there was no one there. I mean, like I get up and like, okay, they say, okay, Rob, you're going to teach at this place on, on this day. And I'd get up and there's like literally four people in the whole place. And they're like four old ladies, you know, and I'd get up and, and I'd share. But one day we were, um, out in this square And we saw in this one town called Subatitsa, they had this big square. They call like a walking place. It was like kind of one of our outdoor malls, but Mm -hmm. it was where everybody in the city would converge. And it was like to get through, if you're walking through the city, you had to cross through this big square. And so we were out there and a friend of mine, one of the guys on the trip started playing some music and instantly about 300 people gathered around. And what was really interesting up to that time, almost everybody that we talked to, we had to talk to them through interpreters because we Mm -hmm. couldn't find anybody, especially Mm of the older generation, that spoke English at all. But all of a sudden, I'm talking to a group of about eight guys in their late teens, early 20s. They were all a little intoxicated, but they were, um, you know, talking, and they were enjoying the music, and we started talking, and they're asking, why are you guys here? And I start telling them, you know, about Jesus, and they were actually, you know, for a bunch of intoxicated guys, they were somewhat interested, and so I told them this. I said, hey, if you want to hear more, why don't you come tomorrow? This is where we're staying. I said, I'll get my friend to do a personal concert for you guys, and I'll share And so these guys come, there's eight of them. And my friend did a few songs. I got up and shared a Bible study, gave an invitation and they all got saved. Wow! And the thing that was interesting though, was we had to leave that day and go to Hungary and, um, so I'm thinking to myself, this is crazy. I mean, these guys just accepted the Lord. What are we going to do with yeah. them? And this trip was one where we were sort of, it was like Jonathan and his armor bearer. Let's just go see what the Lord might want to do. Mm-hmm. We'd never done any church planning. We'd never been, you know, in, in that part of the world. Most of us had never even been on a mission trip. Wow. So we're just, we, we had no idea. It was kind of like, let's just go and just see what happens, you know? So these eight guys get saved and we're like, you know, what, what's going on? So we encouraged them to go to the the Pentecostal church that was there because they had sort of hosted us in coming, and it was the only church that we were really familiar with. But the, the very next evening, we're now in Hungary, by a Hungary, and I'm sitting in this church, and Pastor Brian was preaching, and I'm sitting up, and I'm looking at this group of people that he's talking to, and I just can't get my mind off of these guys that got saved you know and my heart's just burdened for them so afterwards um i went up to brian and i asked him if me and this this other guy named jim westby who's still a part of our church here if jim and i could go back to subatiza and um you know try to find these guys and share with them and spend the rest of the week. The rest of the week, our team was supposed to minister throughout Hungary, and I said, "Can we just go back and stay there?" And Brian said, "Yeah, go for it." So we caught a train, you know, went back, found a hotel um, to stay in, which was an experience in and of itself. Yeah. You know, right after the fall of communism, and I find these guys, and I basically said to them, "I said, hey, um, I'd love to meet with you. Um, I'll meet with you in the morning before school, and I'll meet with you guys after." school and so each morning they'd come and i'd do a little bible study and then after school they'd come back and i'd do another bible study then we'd go get something to eat and we'd go hang out and spend the the night all week well by the end of the week the group of eight had grown to 30 because every day they were bringing friends and their friends were getting saved and you know this type of thing and so at the end of that Week, um, Brian comes back. He sees what, you know, the Lord has done. And um, I told these guys, I said, you know, we got to go. We're, we're going back to the States. But I said, I'm going to find somebody and bring them back here. And mm. so, you know, we'll be back in a few weeks and, you know, just read your Bibles and, you know, hang in there and kind of thing. And so I think it was two, maybe three weeks later, I'm on a plane bringing a, a young guy by the name of Mike Harris, um, over to Subotica and that group of 30 in another week when Mike was there and started doing music and teaching, it grew to a hundred and it was incredible. And it was just such an amazing thing. And so from there, a lot of churches were planted Mm -hmm. all over Yugoslavia and on into Hungary. And so from there, they started, um, you know there were conferences that were happening, and, and especially because I had been a, a big part in the, the beginning of that, um, I was you know asked to come and speak at these conferences. In fact, I got to tell you a story. One of the years I was asked to come back, and it was during the height of civil war happening in in Yugoslavia, and it's right. I mean, this is before it split, and after this it becomes. Croatia and Serbia mm-hmm. because of the civil war, but the the battle was so intense that was going on there. The U.S. embassy closed. Our government was saying, you know, Americans get out of the country, don't go there, but they had planned this conference, wow. and I was supposed to go and speak at it, me and this other pastor, and so we're trying to figure out, like, what are we supposed to do? You know, should we go? Should we not go? And um, and it was funny because at this point I'm now in Oregon and I'm pastoring the church in Oregon. Okay. And so as we're praying, my wife and our board, our group of leaders are all getting a sense from the Lord that you're supposed to go. On this trip, my friend who was supposed to come, his wife and his leadership are getting a sense that he's not supposed to go. You know, wow. and so in my and my wife just hates it when I go anywhere. But mm-hmm. she's like feeling like, you know, I think you're supposed to go, and I'm I'm thinking like, are you ready to get rid of me? You know, is that why you're <laughs> yeah. wanting me to go? And it was so funny because my the this other pastor friend of mine, he we happened to be um, right at this time when we were both praying. What should we do? We were at a pastor. Conference and and he said, "Let's go ask Pastor Chuck. You know what he thinks we should do." So we go up to Pastor Chuck, kind of lay out the story, and Chuck just laughs and goes, "Oh, you guys are going to have a great time." <laughs> and uh, so, long story short, my friend ended up not going. I ended up going by myself, and um, and it was insane because God so paved the way. Wow, and we had to drive from the point of where we were picked up at the airport, we had to drive almost across the whole country to where the conference was gonna be. And there's all these checkpoints, you know, that we're going through, and every single one of them, there's armed guards, and they're pulling cars over, and and it's me and, and um, a friend of mine, Greg O'Pean, in one car, and Mike Harris and his wife, Bridget, who's like this blonde beach girl in the other car, and i mean we stand out like a sore thumb you know and at every single checkpoint that we went through the the guards like they they pulled like there there would be like say 3 guards you know 3 sets of guards mm-hmm. pulling over cars well at every checkpoint we came to they the last set of guards pulled over the car right in front of us Amazing. so we drove through every single checkpoint wow. without stopping And God did an amazing work in this Mm -hmm. conference to the point where um, they really wanted to have the conference in a city where there wasn't a church just so that, you know, kind of like we do. They want everybody Mm -hmm. to be able to have like a retreat, you know, kind of get away. So we did it in this hotel in this city, and every single night people from the city were are coming to the conference because wow. they're hearing the music and they're hearing mm. about it and they're getting saved. And we ended up planning a church. Wow, in the city, amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was incredible. It was just one of those amazing um, times, and I really learned from that that if if I'm just obedient, mm. you know, when God says to do something, you know, sometimes we can overanalyze it. Sometimes mm. we can, you know, just overthink it. But if we're just obedient.
0: And don't overthink it, that God can do great things. Wow. What a (laughs) powerful, incredible story, truly living out that saying that we often repeat, that God doesn't call the qualified, but qualifies the called. Amen. So cool. It's interesting, you mentioned earlier that your desire when you were young or kind of into that late teenage years, into young, early age, college years, was to be a baseball coach. And the Lord has a way of redeeming some of those desires. And so he's used you to be a coach in a different sense. And you have had the opportunity to pour into some pretty amazing guys who have come out of Calvary Vista and who they've been Bible teachers of mine. They've been conference speakers Mm. at things. I mean, I've been impacted by these guys' ministries, and you'd poured into these guys guys like John Randall, Charlie Campbell, Jason Duff, Scott Cunningham, Evan Wickham, Phil McKay, Trevor O'Keefe, just to name a few of the guys that I know that I've been impacted by. And most of these guys are senior pastors today. who are making amazing impacts for the kingdom of God, what do you attribute this type of influence to in kind of playing that role of e- even a seasonal coach in these guys' lives at points?
1: Yeah. I can honestly say that in probably anything that the Lord has ever allowed me to do, this has been the thing that, has, that brings me the most joy. You know, Mm -hmm. is being able to, you know, pour into guys and the group of guys that you, you know, mentioned, um, I would just, you know, first of all, say that the Lord allowed me to play a very small part Mm -hmm. in their development. Um, and they probably learned from me a lot of things not to do (laughs) (laughs) as well. But, um, you know, a friend of mine, I mentioned before Greg O'Pean, um, when he was in Hungary and one of the times when I was over there. He prophesied, and he, he made this statement. He says, you know, you are going to be a pastor to pastors. Wow. And it kind of blew my mind because I'd never really thought, you know, in, in that way. I had no idea what that meant. But but seeing the guys that God has raised up and sent out from Calvary Vista has been pretty incredible. And like I said, one of my biggest joys and passions is getting to encourage other pastors in ministry. Whether it's, you know, at a conference or, um, you know, even better one-on-one, whether it's in person or on the phone. And, you know, God has allowed me to be able to go through some things. Um, I've made a ton of mistakes. And and so I feel like I, I can impart some of that wisdom um, and encouragement to other guys. But really, to answer your original question about the influence that, that has come out of Calvary Vista, I would really attribute it partly to this. And I don't think it was really a plan. I don't think it was like something that... You know, we sat down or I sat down and said, you know, I want to be a pastor to pastors or I want to train up guys, um, you know, to plant churches. I mean, that wasn't even something. We've had 33 churches that have come out of um, church plants that have come out of this. And that's really not even counting the ones on the mission field, you know. Um, But I think the biggest thing has been this word, opportunity. Mm. And... I'm thankful to the guys who gave me an opportunity when I was a young guy to teach a Bible study when I didn't know what I was doing, you know, Yeah. Um, to go to university high school and just say, oh, you know, God will... You know, show yeah. and, and, and I don't know if it was because Brian just didn't want to do it anymore or if he really felt like God was leading him. But the fact that he gave me, you know, that opportunity and others who have given me, you know, opportunity to be used, um, you know, and I have enjoyed doing that same thing, mm. you know, just giving um, young guys the opportunity to be used. And and what I mean by that is, is you know, filling the pulpit and, um, and doing that, um, not just when I'm gone, Mm. you know, um, just, you know, you preached at Vista just recently and, and I was there, I could have preached that day, but I wanted to give you that opportunity to be used in our larger Mm. body. And you gave a fantastic message and the body was really encouraged and I think that that's something a lot of pastors are reluctant to do, mm. for some reason. And um, even when they're gone, there's a tendency they're going to bring in guest speakers. And and I get that, you yeah. know, there's a blessing to have someone, you know, who maybe is touching on a certain topic. And I'll do that sometimes mm-hmm. where I feel like, okay, this guy has really something unique to say that I think our body needs yeah. to hear. But at the same time, I've I love giving, especially some of the younger guys on our staff, the opportunity. And I found that our body really loves hearing from them. And, you know, when I've given our youth pastors the opportunity to preach on a Sunday morning, our youth ministry grows because those parents are like, I Mm -hmm. want my kid to hear this guy. You know, that was amazing. I want my kids to be, you know, in the youth group. And so in recent years, I've you know, even started giving guys the opportunity to preach when I am here, and um, I think that this speaks to the body—the sense that I have a confidence mm. in these guys, and that we're a team. And so, I think opportunity is is really the key, yeah. you know. And so, it was taking some guys that you know were young and inexperienced. Um, and giving them the opportunity. And whenever we had a position to fill, most of the time in the 25 years that I've been here, you know, we didn't look for somebody from the outside. You know, we didn't look for like an all-star. You Mm -hmm. know, it was um, usually we were looking for somebody that was, you know in our group or somebody that had come out of bible college and just been serving and been yeah. real faithful and there was a sense of like you know hey th- this is we're giving them a chance to grow mm-hmm. you know and we're going to give it, and and a lot of the guys that you mentioned on that list they were those guys yeah. you know that came out of you know that type of um, ministry and you know i think of this one guy his name is mark Orozco and mark was um, he's now the pastor of Calvary Chapel in Brandon, Florida, which was John Randall's church, mm. and and Mark came from uh, the Bible College to serve with me in in Oregon, and he was green man. Mark was just really, really, you know, green, and he came down here, and he would be the first to say that he was socially awkward, mm-hmm. and, and um, you know, he was super intense, and so I put him in junior high ministry, <laughs> because I knew that, you know, that was gonna, like, just you know, totally transform yeah. him and change him. And, and it was gonna, you know, oftentimes Bible college students have the hardest time taking these lofty mm-hmm, ideas mm-hmm. and breaking them down into ways that the, the normal person yeah. can understand them. And so I knew like, okay, Mark's gonna need that. And the junior high, you know, ministry, um, it can be hard, but they're also the most forgiving if mm-hmm. you just love them. And, you know, and I remember his first camp, you know, some of the other youth pastors are in the pool with their kids and they're throwing kids around. And and he's like saying to me, like, I'm just not that way. You know, is that okay? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you know, just be you, you know, kind of thing. But by the next year, he's in the pool oh, throwing yeah. kids around and all this kind of stuff. And God did this, you know, work mm-hmm. in him, but he was a project and he was a guy. That, you know, what I saw in him was an incredible heart, mm. you know, and an incredible willingness to be used. And it was like, you know, I want to, I want to, uh, I want to invest in that, yeah. you know. And so I've, I've really, really loved, you know, doing that. And, um, and I love, like I said, giving, you know, guys even now just the opportunity to, you know, minister and teach you know fill the pulpit and and I'll admit though that can be risky because you know you run the risk of somebody getting prideful you run the risk of somebody starting to think too highly of themselves mm-hmm. in fact I can remember the very first time Brian ever did that with me he was gone he had me preach on a sunday it was when the our church was on the other property it was a lot smaller and and I remember the following week I'm standing out after service next to him and this lady walks up and says to him, um, you know, hey, Pastor Brian, man, Rob did such a great job last week. It was an incredible message and, you know, something like you should go away more often or, or you know, you could something like that. And I don't know if it was that Brian just saw something in my eye, you know, that I just enjoyed that compliment because he did not let me preach again for another (laughs) year. (laughs) And, um, but I think there was a sense, you know, and I think sometimes Mm. it's like, you know, yeah, you know, it's part of that, that training and, and stuff. So, um, and you know, I would, I would just kind of sum this up though in in this type of way. And I think this is one of the biggest things that I've learned in in the midst of and I think I would hope my story would speak to others is, you know, one of my favorite passages in scripture is Ephesians 2.10 where God says that we are his workmanship, that we've been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in or that we should step into one. Translation puts it and that word, you know, we are his workmanship is we are his poema we are his masterpiece and and you know, i like to remind people he's not talking there about our anatomy mm-hmm. you know he's talking about our redemption because mm-hmm. it's we are his workmanship created in Christ yeah. Jesus but being his workmanship means that we each get to be this expression of who god is because art is always the expression of the artist. And yeah. God is saying, I'm an artist, and you're my workmanship. And so God is wanting to use every single one of us in some way, in some fashion, that he has created us in Christ, that he has good works that he's laid before each one of us, that he wants us to walk in, that he wants us to step into, mm-hmm. that he lays out, you know, and if we're simply available, um It doesn't matter if we have the ability, God's going to supply and he's got that plan. And I think so much of, you know, so many Christians can do like what I was doing. And again, and, and, you know, God spoke in a very very dramatic way in my life to get my attention. And mm-hmm. he's not going to do that, you know, with anybody. But I think he does that with somebody like me so that I can encourage, you know, others who are thinking, oh, God can't use me or I'm not like that person, that if you'll just be available mm-hmm. and if you'll, when opportunities arise, you know, pray about it, but don't overthink it, you know, I love to come up to people in our church and say, hey, I want you to pray about something. You know, I've been watching you and I think we have this need that I think you would be perfect for. Mm -hmm. Would you pray about this? And so often they'll they'll be like, Really? You think Mm -hmm. I could do that? And I'm like, Yeah. You know, I I think you'd be great at that. And they're and and it's like the they never would have dreamed, never would have thought Mm -hmm. about God using them in that kind of way. And I'll ask them, they'll pray, they'll come back. And some of them said to me, you know, I don't know why, but I think God wants me to do this, and then they end up doing it, and God just blows their mind, you know, because they were obedient, they were faithful, and um, and then they get to discover, oh, this is part Mm -hmm. of what God has called me as His workmanship. You know, Paul makes the statement in Philippians where he's talking about, and there in chapter three of how, you know, he he laid aside everything that he might gain Christ and then he makes a statement forgetting what lies behind and looking forward to what lies ahead and he says in there in that passage he says that he's he's seeking to discover the reasons why Jesus apprehended him mm. and i love to say this for paul that was an ongoing revelation you know yeah same for me Like, I'm in Yugoslavia. Oh, this is one of the reasons why Jesus apprehended me so that I could come and share here. You know, when I'm in another country, oh, this is one of the reasons. And I never would have imagined this. I mean, I have been to Africa now so many times, and that was the one place I used to say I never want to go to Africa. And yet... Lord, I'm available, mm. and now I love it. I mean, it's mm-hmm. amazing. But I, you know, seeing, you know, when I get a chance to, you know, work with guys like you, and and again, it's part of the thing that I realized, okay, this is one of the reasons why Jesus apprehended me, Mm -hmm. you know, to be able to, and that's for every single one of us, you know, you get a new job and suddenly Mm -hmm. God puts these people around you. Oh, this is one of the reasons why Jesus apprehended me. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, this job isn't just the place where I'm earning a living, but it's my mission field. And here's the people that God has put in my life. You know, Mm -hmm. I move into a new neighborhood. Oh, here's one of the reasons why God has apprehended me. He's put this person as my neighbor and he wants me to influence them in some way and love on them and share, you know, Jesus with them. And so to me, that's one of the most exciting things about the Christian life is learning to discover what it means for each one of us to be his workmanship and, you know, what it means discovering, okay, this Mm. is why he apprehended me. And so, you know, I hope my story can encourage others from the sense of, you know, God has, has And, and, and believe me, I am nothing special, but God has done something in my life that is beyond my wildest imaginations. Mm. I never could have imagined I wasn't seeking it. You know, I wasn't at all, but it was God just saying, this is what I want to do. And, you know, in your life and you have these weaknesses that I want to
0: work through. Well, definitely encouraging. (laughs) And what a great way to kick off season three here on the Basics of Life Conversations with your God story. We're going to close out each episode um, like we did in season two with rapid-fire questions. So this time we get to hear you answer them. (laughs) And so, Rob, what is the most impactful read or most impactful book you've read in the last year? So I have to answer
1: this by two. Because in 2020, I read a book that really, really blessed me. And it's a book called When Faith Fails by Dominic Doan. And it's a book that really deals with the subject of doubt. Mm-hmm. And um, Dominic does a fantastic job in writing this book and and really laying out for the readers how um, the fact that doubt is normal, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's... It's not sin, you know, but it's, it's normal to, to wrestle. It's normal. And, and, um, and so that book was impactful. In fact, I'm so excited because Dominic is coming here. Um, he's going to be teaching here on September the 26th, I think it is. It's the last Sunday morning in, um, September. And, um, I'm uh, really, really looking forward to, yep, September 26th is when he's going to be here. So if you're out there listening, I would encourage you to come to church at Calvary Vista or, or at least catch it online because uh, this is a message that I think will really, really encourage you. But there's another book that I've been reading recently that i am just been super, super um, blown away by, and it's uh, the book called Gentle and Lowly, and it's mm. by... Um, Dane Ortland, okay. and um, it centers around the fact that the only biographical statement that Jesus ever made about himself is he said that he's gentle and lowly in heart and he just takes that in this book and unpacks it and I'm almost done with it. My wife and I have been reading it together and Um, it's been just radically blessing my heart. Our staff is going to go through this book next year together because it was just
0: such a beautiful picture of Jesus. Very cool. All right, who has been the biggest influence in your life? As you just shared your God story with yeah. us, I think I got some ideas, <laughs> but who's been your biggest influence? Yeah, that's a hard question
1: on the one hand, because I think by and large, the biggest influence on my life has been my dad. Mm. And um, you know, my dad, especially, I mean, just the transformation that God made in his life you know, was just incredible. And I just saw God transform into this amazing, you know, godly man who was more of a behind-the-scenes kind of guy but impacted so many. My mom also is really up there, um, such a godly woman. But as it relates to ministry, um, there's three guys that I think impacted my heart in a big, big way. Richard Semino gave me my first um, chance to be involved in ministry. And um, so Richard was huge. Uh, Brian Broderson, um, I think really doing ministry with Brian there's two big things. God used him in my life to really teach me about grace. Mm. Um, I didn't really understand grace until I came and listened to Brian. In fact, there were times listening to Brian teach about grace that I would get mad because I'd be like thinking myself tell the rest of the story because I felt like he was you know not like it was so grace oriented but it was it was right it was Mm -hmm. good you know he was balanced I wasn't and um, so God used him also God really used him to give me a heart for Mm -hmm. the world because um, he took me on my first missions trip but then The guy that I think has been maybe the biggest overall influence um, through the years, you know, like consistent, has been John Corson. And Mm -hmm. John has been a friend and a mentor. And through his teaching, I've learned to see Jesus in the scriptures. Mm -hmm. Um, But also just his heart, you Mm -hmm. know. Um, God has just used John. Um, when I was pastoring in, in Oregon, John spent significant amount of time with me that yeah. I just cherish mm-hmm. to, this, to this day. And, um, and even though we don't talk as you know, much anymore these days, um, you know, his influence on in
0: my life has been huge. Wow, yeah. so cool. Uh, what are you most concerned about right now for the church as a whole?
1: That's a good question, and um, I wrestled with this, and uh, and I think that the the way that I would answer that question is, and, and it's interesting because I might answer this differently next week <laughs> if you were asking me next week, but but I think the thing that has been most on my heart, maybe consistently, um, you know, there's definitely been just the, what I would say, the overemphasis on, you know, the whole political being so, you know, focused on that and, you know, that type of thing, even though that is important. Um, But like Corson used to always say, you know, hey, we need to keep the main thing the main Mm -hmm. thing. But but really, to me, the thing that is I, I think I've been more just consistently concerned about is what I would call the celebrity culture in the church. And that's something that really has scared me in the sense where um, it seems like we continue to take these pastors and put them up on these pedestals and we make these, you know, celebrities of them. And, and I think that's always been happening, but the way that it's happening right now, and especially, mm-hmm you know, in the younger culture is unlike anything that I've ever, you know, seen where it just seems like there's a lot of focus and eyes on men and Mm. not on Jesus. And, um, and a lot of what gets is getting projected, um, as, you know, sort of the lifestyle of some of these, you know, people that people are looking up to and stuff. Um, it's just a warped sense of reality and it's not, um, in any way what like the normal guy pastoring a church mm-hmm. is, is living yeah. but it's like this false sense of this is what you know Christianity is like and I think what it's producing what I'm seeing it's producing in a lot of young guys in ministry is that they're chasing fame mm-hmm. rather than just seeking to be faithful mm-hmm. you know and letting God do what he wants but just you know seeing a lot of young guys that just have this these this ambition to want to be like this person that they're you know wanting to emulate or they're wanting in it and it just scares me because i think in a lot of ways it's setting people up for a fall Mm -hmm. you know but in this social media culture and everything um you know that that we live in i think it has just created this sort of monster yeah. that um concerns me you know it concerns me for the you know for the church and and then when one of these type of individuals falls you know the the um downfall or the the fallout is the word i'm looking for fallout from that just seems to be so great yeah you know so that's
0: probably what i'm today mm. yep. <laughs> most concerned about yeah. Ending on a high note today, what are you most excited about for the future of the church? Yeah.
1: You know, it's interesting because I think um, as hard as COVID was and 2020 was, I think it it created something in the hearts of believers that has so blessed me and created my own heart, and that has been a fresh, stirring mm-hmm. And hunger mm-hmm. in people's hearts for Jesus, for the Word, for community, um, and that has been something that um, has really, really blessed me. You know, I think one of the the worst things that can happen, you know, to any Christian and to you know any church is when we just start going through the motions, mm-hmm. you know, and we start just sort of accepting mediocrity yeah. and. And I think in a lot of ways, that's where a lot of churches were at. You know, it's just kind of like, oh, this is the way it is. And, you know, just kind of accepting that type of mentality. But seeing a fresh hunger, you know, in people um, in our church and in other churches and talking to other pastors, um, you know, it's it's awesome. You know, mm-hmm. to me, I think that we could very well be on the cusp of, Revival, you know, and we so desperately need that. So I'm, yeah. I'm excited about that.
0: I love it. Yeah. Well, from the heart of Pastor Rob Salvato here <laughs> for season three, episode one, if you didn't know, Pastor Rob does have a website, thebasicsoflife.com, where you can find all of his Bible teachings and more, and then obviously at calvaryvista.com. And then tune in next week, because Rob, you got some good interviews coming up, huh? I do. I'm all excited right. about it. We'll see you guys then. Thank you for listening to the Basics of Life Conversations with Rob Salvato. Rob's interviews for Season 3 centers around the idea of God's stories, and we have many great episodes coming your way. If you're encouraged by today's conversation, please share it with a friend, leave us a review, or give us a rating on whatever podcast listening platform you're tuning in on. And if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. We have some incredible conversations coming up on Season 3 that you're not going to want to miss here on the Basics of Life Conversations.